0: Welcome to the On the Top Coaching Podcast, and uh, I'm here today with John T. Skinner, recently retired and legendary swim coach in uh, the United States, but really internationally. So I just wanted to thank you for coming on today and being a guest and speaking specifically on kind of your history of innovation in the swimming world and kind of clearing up some misnomers and some misconceptions about this new flip turn that you've been Uh, discussing so John T first question is just can you give us a quick history of your experiences as a swim coach and as a swimmer
1: Uh, I mean I I swam started swimming when I was a kid broke my arm had to go swim um went through a career just like normally though when I lived in South Africa I only trained six months a year so I didn't train year-round until age 21 was the first 20 age 20 was the first time I trained year-round everything else was six months of training or eight months of training, say during the summer months in South Africa, the winter months were spent playing soccer or rugby or something else. And um, and then went to school at the University of Alabama and that just you know, expanded my career and abilities and um, some of the success that came from that uh, coaching wise, I mean, I've been through everything. I've been assistant age group coach, club coach, club head coach, college assistant, college head coach. Uh, I've been through pretty much every facet of position of coaching. Um, basically started out at, you know, with a basic team, uh, went to the West Coast with a team called San Jose Aquatics. And um, that's really where I cut my teeth as a club coach and took a team from basically with a lot of uh, potential to a club championship type thing. From there back to the university of alabama as assistant and head coach and then resident team coach at the olympic training center for six years then eight years as the director of, so it's easy to say the director of sports science at usa swimming uh left that uh, started a company called uh, athletic intelligence brain training british swimming hired me for three years and then Done with all of that and went back to coaching. I just wanted to come go to the pool every day and coach swimmers. So I took the assistant coaching job, sprint coach at Alabama, which was brilliant because then I could just, you no know, head coaching problems, no anything, just come in and, and work with kids every day. And and people who know me know I, I love to, to, to work. I love to interact. I love to teach. Um, I was basically retired a year ago. Ray calls me up and goes, no, no, you're not retired. You know, you're going to come work up here, which I did, which was wonderful. Really, I, you know, I really enjoyed the experience in in Bloomington. Um, to be honest with you, it was actually a sort of a, a unique experience because uh, I went up there and inherited a college group. And um, I was very shocked initially to find that they really knew nothing about swimming. Um It wasn't. Um, Ten days, so it was a little over a week, and um, I, I sort of come to this that they didn't know much. So I stopped them one day. There were about twelve or fourteen or fifteen of them in front of me, and I said, and I, I gave them the, the the hanging eyebrow. and I said, "All right, what's the quickest way to go faster in swimming?" And they sort of looked at me like, "What?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah. How do you get faster? What's the quickest way to get faster in swimming?" And they they, they sort of come out of the shock and they're like, okay, turn over faster, kick harder. All the normal questions, the yeah, answers you did, and i like, no, 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 no. Yeah, I said, reduce drag, that's it. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Reduce drag, it makes sense. I said, great, how do you reduce drag? Ah, oh, God, another question, <laughs> you know? Well, you know, so I spent a year of teaching a group of kids from scratch. I mean, taught them how to turn from scratch, how to start from scratch. Technique. I mean they yeah, okay, so they could do things. Like, can you explain a start to me? I don't know, coach. I just do a start. I said, no, can you explain it to me? What makes a start work? What are the you know, so I had to teach them everything from the ground up from scratch. Which when you when you when you've had a group for a long time and you're just topping up all the time, it's 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 different from when you teach everything from the ground up. You actually learn a lot more when you teach people from the ground up than you do when you top up. And I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it made sense to me. And it was fun teaching them because i tried out some new things and had some ideas that I hadn't used before. So I said, what the heck,
0: it's Indiana. We'll throw it at them, see what happens. And, and It's and, and, the, uh, it's and, the uh, birthplace I, of innovation in swimming. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we will do anything and everything there up, as, up <laughs> so, with the Hoosiers.
1: So it was fun. So
0: I, I mean, I've had a,
1: a really, a really good time in, you know, I've, the, the process of enjoying the concept of teaching evolved over time. It was always there. I was always an experimenter. I was always an innovative kind of guy, thinking kind of guy. And I didn't realize how little I knew until I ran into Bill. I mean, I, I've i listened to so many interviews about guys that said when they're 30, they, knew, they thought they knew everything. And I, I think pretty much every swimming coach who's – been in the sport anywhere from five to fifteen years. Probably might listen to this and say, "Yeah, I know everything." Well, I hate to tell you, you don't know nothing. I've been in the sport for forty years, and I was still learning, hand over fist, every day. So, you know, you got to get in the mindset that you know it's an evolution and it's a constant evolution, and it's just gets more and more fun all the time because as you learn more and more, you, you it's not just that your confidence grows; it does but um this whole you tr- start trusting these crazy zany ideas that come out of your head at four o'clock in the morning and you walk in and you say all right we're going to try this today and your group looks at you and you're like oh, okay it's another one of these harebrained freaking ideas let's go for it you know but you know great things come out of stuff like that so i've always loved to explore and i've loved to teach and i loved to get to the you know roll my sleeves up and teach so like, a, you know, it just, it's just something I've done all my life, uh, you know, and like I was teaching golf this morning and I enjoy it and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm good at it. I mean, I'm, I'm good at teaching and I think part of that is because there's a lot of joy in my heart for the art of teaching and, um, you know, I think that's important. You know, don't be a teacher if you don't love to teach.
0: Exactly. And, you know, Jonti, it sounds like you've kind of had this humbling career as both a student and a teacher in the sport. It sounds like, you know, you quickly rose through the ranks as a coach and after an illustrious career with world records and uh, then you kind of became humbled as an age group coach and then up to a college head coach. And then you became a student again and you wanted to learn more and research and then bring it to a community of coaches. And then you decided, I want to go back to being a teacher. And you wanted to go back to your old stomping grounds, which I don't know how many coaches would want to return to a program that they were formerly the head coach of um, and love every second of it from the sound of it. So, you know, you have kind of always resonated with our community of coaches as being, you know, a an educator and teacher first. And swimming is just the the portal from which, you deliver lessons. And, uh, we we've, I love that you were able to do this with us today. So, um, we're specifically talking about the, the tumble pop flip turn, which you graced the swim coach idea exchange group, uh, on the other day. And, you know, a lot of coaches have been so set in their ways and they're not used to being humbled in that manner where, you know, a flip turn is a flip turn is a flip turn is a flip turn. And the drills that we've all understood to be good for rotation and for, you know, centripetal force and trying to reduce the radius and the distance of the lever arm. You kind of put a kibosh on all of those and said, yeah, that's that's one way to do it. Here's a better way. So, um, you know, I kind of wanted to talk about a few of the main differences between a flip turn and a tumble pop today. So and I kind of want to break it up into four different categories. So, you know, what are some differences in the approach? What are some differences in the actual somersault? What are the differences in the push off? And then what are the differences in the underwater phase uh, as our swimmers are climbing to break out? So uh, you've got some video, and you're going to share screen, and I'll have a link to our video conversation uh, put inside of the description for our podcast. And let's go ahead and dive in.
1: Well, I, to me, it's, it's a question. When I when I ask a swimmer if I if I'm teaching the the turn. Uh, I asked him this question, what is the most important element of the turn? Now, what is? And you get a lot of answers. And I say, absolutely, without a doubt, the wall impulse. So if you execute the wall impulse correctly, and you take the most velocity possible in the most perfect line possible at the right angle, then you're going to get everything you ever wanted out of the turn. Now, what I found in, in watching what we call flip turns, is kids were taught to throw their legs at the wall, throw them as fast as they could, get those legs over as fast as you can, use your hands in the opposite sculling direction, reverse pulling your hands in the opposite direction to make them go faster, get your legs. And, And when kids came to me, when I really started teaching the tumble pop, you know, I wanted them to slow things down. I wanted them to actually slow it down so they hit it perfectly, so they hit it just exactly, they hit the sweet spot And they gain everything they could off the wall. Um, So I find that most college swimmers, in teaching them to change to a tumble pop, most of the time I'm yelling at them to quit throwing their legs at the wall. Stop that, you know. So the idea with the tumble pop is that you can take the normal stuff that you do in, um, like a lot of people do tumbles in the middle of the pool. You know, you just... Basically, have kids in a horizontal float in the middle of the pool. You blow a whistle, yell, whatever. And they execute a double arm or a single arm a leverage you know, action to get them some momentum. And then they tumble and execute a turn. Um, so what I wanted them to do is when they tumble, they can't use their arms. So you get that, that's, that double arm or single arm leveraging movement to create momentum. And then the arms never get used again. And then you tumble in the tighter ball as you can. And instead, and you've got to think of extending the legs out. So you're not flipping the legs over to get your heels on the wall. You're actually extending the legs. And you have to do that in that tumbling process of so tumble, extend, tumble, extend. And I always want them to tumble and extend with their feet in a what I call a closed joint position, which means that the yeah. ankle is locked up and the toes are pointing straight up in a sort of dorsiflex this way. So that they have a kind of sense of what everything kind of in space. So when you um, get about the process of actually teaching that in action, the very first thing they do is do a tumble turn underwater. They have to execute it underwater. So they get used to not using their hands at the surface and just tumbling in free space. So they get used to tumbling without using their hands because they need to learn how to do that. And that's the simplest place to learn it. Then you take it one step further and you take them underwater and, and you want them to tumble um, and just put their feet on the wall or even tumble and not even put their feet on the wall, but execute the tumbling action underwater. So now all of a sudden when you put them underwater and they have to kick to the wall underwater and you get them to execute the tumble without using their hands, they have to learn how to execute the tumble in their body. So you've got all the resistance of the water against your feet coming over. So the idea is that, you, yeah, you drop your chin on your chest. Some people like to submarine a little to trip and stumble tumble, tumble into the tumble. I, I don't care whichever way you do it. But when you when you start the tumbling process of body pace, it's like snapping your knees in. It's tucking your feet in. It's pulling everything into that tight ball. It's an act that is working from the core to tumble it into that tumbling action it's not a hand-based thing it's a body-based thing and allow your body to stumble like i when i'm teaching little kids you you teach you tell them to stumble into a tumble right so get there kind of get a little bit of kind of like a submarine action drop the chin and then kind of stumble and tumble forward especially when you're going fast you're going to tumble into the water into the wall and then feel like they're gonna extend their legs out. So instead of the legs coming over as one piece, they're gonna to get to here and then extend. So it's different.
0: You, you know, and I think that a lot of people kind of have this misconception about, you know, flip turns and streamlining. They say that yard swimming is the fastest you're ever gonna be because you have more walls and the fastest mm-hmm. you ever are is when you're in streamline coming off the wall. But I think people also kind of forget that in yard swimming, your velocity is going to zero every 25 yards you if you' are looking at the actual velocity curve of a swimmer they are going in this direction and then at some point in that curve they have to hit a zero and then start traveling the other direction so um, I think kind of the big piece that you're talking about here is how do you make that transition from positive velocity to zero and then back to positive velocity the most effective possible and you're I mean from the sound of it it's that impulse power, that your swimmers get as they're approaching, they're not waiting for the wall to come to them. They're kind of attacking that wall with their heels, with their feet, with the balls of their feet, and that's just kind of what I've gathered from uh, what you've spoken about on Facebook. Is that kind of online with you know the process that you teach your kids?
1: Right. So I mean, I put the, the I put the bottom pop in there so they learn how to kind of explode, just bounce, and it's a very low impact environment. I, I don't. You know, you can get them to bounce from their connective tissue on land, just comfortably, just spring, just use the springs in the legs, which means you give them an idea of what connective tissue is springing and connective tissue means on land. So there are no muscles involved. It's all connective tissue. So you can kind of do that where they can learn to spring on land and get a sense of what springing is and know that when they're springing on land that they're not putting the heels on the ground. They're just putting the balls of their feet and just bouncing. So you can do that proprioceptive drill on land to where they understand what springing is. You can get them in the water and you can, instead of doing a a bottom, you know, what I'll call a bottom jump, you can just get them, because they're heavy enough, if they get into a streamlined position and they let go of all the air, then they can do the exact same thing they do on land in the water. Bing, bing, bing. They can just bounce on the bottom, what I call bottom bouncing. So they're bottom bouncing, which I love because... If their line integrity isn't really good, they're all over the place. I mean, they're traveling, they're losing their line, they're like chaos out there. So a little bottom bouncing really helps them kind of understand, again, that the springing action that they're looking for, the balls of their feet that they're looking for, and then the line integrity that they're looking for, which is just as important a component as anything. Um, and then from there, they can go to an actual bottom pop. Um, they approach, like I told you, when you learn how to tumble, you got to tumble underwater first and you got to learn it's a body-based thing. It's not a hand, you know, leverage, leg-throwing thing because that doesn't work at all. Um, you got to learn how to do it. So you only learn how to do that if you do tumbles underwater. And you can only do that if you flutter kick, take your arm stroke and tumble. And eventually you tumble and put your feet on the wall. Eventually you tumble and pop your feet off the wall. So... You know, your bounces, bottom pops, underwater tumbles, underwater tumble pops before you even get to doing an actual tumble pop off a wall in a regular swimming setting.
0: Okay, so uh, I'm going to, I'll give you a scenario. You've got a 14-year-old age group kid who you walk on deck the first time, you're doing a consulting practice with a local club team, and you see that this kid is a, a talented swimmer but needs to change their flip turn action. Uh, What is what are the kind of the sequences that you use just kind of start to finish with this kid?
1: Okay first thing I teach them how to use spring to use connective tissue which is just bouncing on land. If you're lucky enough and you're in a setting where you have um, a kind of a springier surface so like in a lot of universities they have a diving program, the diving program more or less. More often than not, we'll have a gymnastics-like uh, kind of platform to where it's very springy, you can really get into that and kind of really get some good bounding done. But understand it's a connective tissue thing and to give them the proper set of understanding of how to use connective tissue in sort of a kind of a springing kind of way on deck. Okay. So then you take them into the pool and you say, all right, let's play with this on the bottom. So you get them into a sort of a streamlined position and you can work on bouncing on the bottom, and then you can make it like a turn, which means that you're going to jump off the bottom of the pool and then impact the bottom and bounce up, just like they're going to do when they execute a tumble pop. So you can land to bounce in the water to an actual execution, because all you're doing is you're getting your brain to understand the concept that you're not, you know, you're not flipping your legs all the way to the wall. You're actually tumbling and extending your legs to the wall. That's the main difference, the tumble extension versus flipping all your legs all the way to the wall. Um, And then really it's just putting them, then I put them underwater and I say, all right, you know, underwater, tumble. And they have to learn. And a lot of times, you know, if you have 10 kids in the pool, one or two of them will get it right away. They'll understand how it has to be, how they have to kind of tumble inside their body and how effective they are bringing it. legs and bringing the knees up nice and tight and just the action of bringing the knees up into the tumbling creates the what I call kinetic energy use that you use to tumble and not using your arms can't use them at all so when they get that down now they're, they're, they're ready to go to actually tumble into the wall and learn how to pop so they take that concept of connective tissue on the the bottom pops into a pop off the wall and the first time they do it they just tumble extend so you tumble and extend it to the wall, and then you wait and you just give it a little pop. It's a little pop, so you kind of feel the pop, right? And
0: Can you get... don't want their feet resting on the wall when you're doing this no, drill, no, right? You gonna, want it gonna, six inches a, a foot, what do you think?
1: Uh, you know, you, you the backstroker did it really well, and his heels were in the water getting, starting the popping action at about a foot from the wall. The freestyler didn't do it nearly as well, so. He, he jammed he made, it a little bit.
0: If you're listening to this on a podcasting platform, you can find the full video, including the videos that John T. analyzes, by going to slash O T T John T. Skinner. All lowercase, all one word. Back to the podcast.
1: Yeah. So, you know, if I share a screen and, and, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll go to this and this would be the backstroke uh, version of this so I don't know how well this is you know if it's going to work as well as we'd like it to so so if we look at the backstroker again and you can see and we're again guys we're, we're we're sort of looking at this guy in the middle um again as his feet come over he's about a foot away from the wall and from this point on the legs are basically going to be in that extension process. They're just going to extend into what he wants to do. And he's driving his legs against the wall and concentrating on right now, when his feet are probably about, um, I'd say anywhere from one to two inches from the wall, he explodes them off the wall into that, that popping action and that action right there, that process right there, that jump is the key. 'Cause he probably gets off the wall probably four meters per second and the time his feet are on the wall are less than the other people that are kind of kind of tumbling all the way into the wall. So if we come back and look at we look at this guy down at the bottom and you can see that again he goes all the way to the wall. So he's still thinking of pushing you know, he's trying to push off right away. But he, he can never get himself into an explosive position, which is again if you have that angle that you're looking at um, when your feet are on the wall, you can see when he really explodes right now. Um, And I don't have a drawing tool inside the environment we're in because I'm in my library. Um, His leg angle, I would say, is probably about 100 to 110 degrees, ankle to knee to hips, which I think is perfect for that position that you're gonna be. Because if you go, if you do a running vertical jump, you don't drop your hips below 90 degrees to get the jump Get to as high as you want to go. Your hips don't get to ninety degrees to get the most out of your jump. But the keys, I think, uh, with young people is they've got a. Everyone thinks that the turn is, you know, the the, the wall impulse or the push off, as we know it. I, I call it a wall impulse because I like the word impulse. I don't like the word push. I like the word impulse because it's a little more electrical. Um, it has a difference, a different um, sound to it in your mind. And people think of pushing as using muscles. I think of impulse as using connective tissue. It's snappy, it's quick. So, I, I mean, terminology, a lot of it evolved out of Bill Boomer's terminology. And uh, to me, a wall impulse or a pop, you know, they're all kind of descriptive vocabulary so that when people hear something, they form something in their mind as to what they think they're going to do and how they're going to do it
0: so yeah it's just it's just visual imagery and you know if you tell a kid to push off a wall they're going to set their feet calculate the time and then go but if you say impulse they kind of understand it's it's kind of like the difference in how box jumps are being taught right so a lot of kids will try to do a box jump flat-footed from the ground up but it almost sounds like you would rather your athletes start from the top of the box come down and pop back up on top onto the box so um same action because, is happening. But
1: you know, d- 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 it depends which phase you're in. I mean, you might, in early par, do it, you know, just to so the knee bend and, and, and jump. Um, I like to, especially when we're trying to get explosive, to just do a little bunny hop so that they get into the pop pop element and pop up there, and they learn to pop up there. So, you know, box jumps or bunny hops, you know, it's just just how you do it. And, again, you, you're, you're really helping the brain, become the master of executing a skill that requires a higher level of coordinated effort with a small, small window of affection. So every opportunity you have to help the brain sort of understand. So if you take a bunny hop and your bunny hop is eight inches off the ground and you explode the legs into the ground, it's going to be chaos because you're not going anywhere. You know, you end up face planting on the block. So they learn how the, the timing between when they begin the explosion and the time it takes to kind of impact the surface they're exploding out of. So that takes time. And, and you'll find when, you know, when coaches go down this path of you know, teaching them hops on land, springing on land, bouncing on the bottom, bottom jumping off the bottom, learning how to bounce off a wall, tumble, bounce, bounce. You know, when they start taking it to full speed and they understand the execution of the bounce, and they start taking it to full speed, there are going to be times where they totally biff it because they're too early on the explosion. They're too early on exploding the leg, and it, they'll just lose all that elasticity out of the, the connective tissue. So that's just time. That just takes time. And, and you know, high-intensity stuff in practice and then competitions, you know, it's just it's just, it's just a, a time-related
0: thing. Absolutely. Very cool. Okay. So. What about that underwater phase? So we've now impulsed into the water. It's a completely different feel, like you said. And we've got a lot of kids that may not be, you know, have that initial coordination to kind of know how to realign themselves coming off the wall. What are some tips, tricks, skills that you have your swimmers work on to specifically focus on, you know, initiating that dolphin kicking motion coming off of this turn?
1: Chest, see the chest press? It's a very tight snap. All right. So kids have to learn how to do that that what I call the, the 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 first articulation, which is more of a whip than a kick per se, but it's a very tight, compact action. So again you can see the chest pressing from the chest, again, using these hands as leveraging tools to create that articulation, boom, out, and then come back and continue to kind of carry themselves down the pool after that articulation. So once we've learned how to pop. And once we've got that pop coming off the you know off the wall type of thing, then what we're gonna do is actually I can make this, I can probably make this. Let me just make the screen a lot bigger. So if we once we get off this, I want them to learn this art. That's that first articulation. So and you can see it's carrying good velocity, finishing the articulation, still carrying good velocity. To me and that's another skill in itself and uh, when you understand how to carry that skill then you can take that four meters per second that you get off the wall you can you and you can sustain it because that first articulation that first dolphin action off the wall is very tight compact it's a whip and and you're trying to sustain the velocity and then from there you get into slightly bigger and bigger articulations depending on how far you're going to go if you're going 15 you know, you're going to go into fairly heavy, heavy uh, amplitude articulations, or if you're only going to like 10, it might stay fairly tight where you are straight into your breakout type of thing. So that just looks at this um, from the from the articulation side. So again, too many people feel like they take their hands and move the hands way too much. And you can see it's all articulated through the chest. And it doesn't matter whether it's going to be the same athlete, you'll see, again, the So here he's going to, again, do the same thing, except now he's going to be on his stomach. And you can see the chest action, basically the same. Action is the same. And the velocity after the action is the same off the wall. And I think that's an art. And that's something that, to me, I do a lot of training, especially at a collegiate level, is that I might just do wall impulses and they have to, uh, get to four lines of a wall impulse, comfortably get to four lines of a wall impulse. And then I'll say, okay, five lines on a wall impulse plus one one dolphin action. So that initiate in that first initial leg action, tight whip kick, and they know basically how to kind of stack that on top of the wall impulse in a way that they don't lose velocity, they actually gain sustained velocity for a longer period of time. And, and I think those, both those things are, Art forms, you know, it's not something you just do. Um, and I have to really show them this video like I just last year in teaching these kids how to articulate underwater and how to do a wall pop and pop off the wall and carry their speed and have that impulse and carry the speed. You know, they watch this video. I'm showing you many, many times in the process of learning that. But to me, that's the next step from there. And then it's into full dolphin action, you know, into your breakout kind of thing.
0: And it sounds like you're giving them that opportunity to self-discover and you're using kind of that, the distance off the wall as a feedback tool. So if they're only getting to three, they know that there's something that they need to change. Are there, are there any like, you know, um, hot button words that you use to kind of get them to, you know, uh, initiate and articulate and find their line?
1: Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um... Off hand, I mean, we're we're talking about shape and articulation, and I'm really saying that you know it's too much hand. You know, they all have cameras; they can look for themselves. I mean, they can just look at the TV. They'll they can they can kind of kind of do it themselves. But you know, it um, really the timing between the wall impulse and when that first articulation occurs is a re. It's again that's a, that's a sensory thing. I mean, you want to do it too early. And some people try to do it too early. And all they do is they kill the speed of the wall impulse. So there's a very, very tiny thing. So I do a lot of timing stuff. Like um, we'll do a, a tumble, tumble pop and, and just hold a glide to three lines. And I'll time them from feet strike to hand getting to three lines. And they get that time. And then I'll let them add in a, 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 their first kick, you know, their first articulation. And what is that time? It should be two to three tenths faster. But with most kids most kids it isn't. And when it isn't, it's a it's an absolute sure sign that how they're, you know, executing their articulation is wrong. So they've got film, they've got time, they've got me saying, Listen, it's not there yet, you've got to figure it out. And to be honest with you, Jason, I'm I'm not a big fan of like like some of the documents I've put on Facebook, I just want to put information out there because I want people to think. I really want to say, okay, what the hell is he saying? You know, or what does that mean? Um, you know, like, a, a, you know, a couple, it's like I, I had this discussion with the golf coaches today at the golfing academy. And I said, you know, what's the biggest enemy you deal with in golf? You know, we were talking about it. You were demonstrating it to the head, head instructor. You were demonstrating it today. And they sort of looked at me and I said, balance, right? You lose balance in a golf swing, you're done, you're toast. I mean, the people around you are more in danger than anyone else, right? Because it's going anywhere. And, uh, you know, then like I'm coming back to the story and I said, okay, what's the, you know, swimming is the same thing. Well, when I said your biggest enemy in swimming is loss of balance, I wonder how many coaches said, hmm. How does that impact me? How do I have to incorporate it in, what, in, in terms of what I do? How do I bring that into my everyday environment? You know, what does it mean, type of thing? So to me, I'm the same with the swimmers. I, I want them to see what I'm looking for. I want them to see what they're producing, but they get, a, they have to figure it out. And more often than not, you know, I love to incorporate kids as teachers. Because the the nice thing I had about Alabama is I had a lot of older kids that knew how to do all these things, and they understood how to execute them. So if if a kid was having struggling learning how to underwater dolphin, you know, and we're doing camera stuff where they're just going through, and I'm I'm glued to the TV, and kids are going by, and I'm like this 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 this, and I get a kid that's struggling, I just say, hey, go talk to Luke, just go talk to Luke, have Luke teach you, or say or someone teach you. So
0: you're, Sometimes you're, kids get so tired of listening to one person that they have profound moments of discovery when it's not coming from that person, right? Well, so it's it's, lo- it's,
1: it's, it's it's not necessarily profound. It's just we we only know how to articulate a certain way. I can only present it the way I present it. But how a kid figures it out might be completely different, you know. And when they translate, oh yeah, I know this is what Coach was saying, but this is what I thought, you know. This was what this is how I got it in my mind. And they're like, huh, okay, <laughs> I get it now. You know, so your kids become, when you teach your kids to become teachers, you, you really have the best of all worlds in your group because um, I, I'll give you an example. This was an Indiana example. Um, we were working on Tumble Pops and a, a girl came into my group late. She, I mean, she wasn't uh, in my group at that time frame. Uh, up until this point in time. So she was behind the curve on tumble pops and we're working on it, but we've had a tough couple of weeks of working on it already and uh, she's sort of not getting it. So I, I took one of the girls in the group and I said, listen, you know, take take, take, take her over there and you teach her what she needs to do. You, you teach it to her. Well, it was a wonderful experience because number one, I showed a lot of, lot of, Trust in Grace to do that, and Grace needed to know that I had that trust for her to be able to do that. And so Grace took Cora over there, and she she taught her how to pop. And about twenty minutes later, they wafted back into the group, and and there was Cora going to work on a pop, and Grace, like this expectant mom, going, "Oh, I hope she does," you know, type thing.
0: But it was brilliant, right? So. It, it, it and that just, gives Grace and Cora some ownership over it. It's no oh, longer it's just, that they're it, being it, instructed it's, just, it's yeah it's wonderful
1: It really is wonderful, you know, and it, it's it's just the best of all worlds and and if you If you don't think you can do it in a club environment i'm I'm sorry, you can do it in a club environment. I mean, kids can really get the sport at a very young age and they can start thinking about it, especially when they're juniors and seniors in high school. They, they're really starting again, you, you know, starting engaged in using the prefrontal cortex in terms of, you know, it becomes part of play and things we do, analytical, that type of stuff. And they can become great, great teachers. And to be honest with you, if you're not creating a teaching environment in your pool, then you're wasting an opportunity.
0: That's great, Chanti. Well, I want to thank you so much for kind of just clearing up some misconceptions and misnomers and uh, giving all of us a little bit of, you know, everyone walks away with something from this. And whether that's, you know, creating a teaching environment or using impulse power or, you know, articulations over dolphin kicking, I just want to thank you. So um, I got one last question for you. Uh, What advice would you give to any coach or program moving forward as we, as a sport, recover from COVID, uh, we're all in kind of different places, spaces, locations. Some people are in the water. Some people are out of the water. Some people don't know how long they'll stay in the water. Some people don't know when they'll ever get back in the water. What would you give as like a, a blanket statement to everyone? What words of advice do you have?
1: I would say, don't get up, don't get caught up in what you don't have. Get caught up in what you do have. I mean, look at You know, you might have to throw out your entire book of what you know about coaching completely because you're put in a position where you've never been before. And if you're hung up on what you're not getting or what your kids are not getting, you're not only you're hurting yourself, you're going to be hurting your kids. So number one, they're going to be fine. They're absolutely going to be fine. All right. It's a great opportunity to work on some things differently and to explore and, and develop concepts and understandings that are new and exciting and all those things. And I promise you, you're gonna be fine. We're gonna come out of this and we're gonna be great. It has to be positive. Doesn't, you know, just don't get hung up on the past. Absolutely, and I, you know, I feel like what's gonna happen is it's gonna change the landscape of swimming. The last time the landscape of swimming was changed was when we went through the tech suit era, and, and all of a sudden, swimming as we knew it was like it was a whole different ball game. And then we took the tech suits away, but we took what we knew from we learned from the tech suits, and we brought that into the new environment. And it actually created a great a new dynamic in training that I think was very beneficial. So yeah, there are a lot of purists, and I'm one of them that didn't like the tech suit at all. I mean, I just I felt it was unfair. It really was unfair to a large degree. And, but we were able to take the technology, not the technology, but the, the understanding of what the, the environment that it created and brought it forward, and we're using it now. And I think the same thing's going to happen here. I hope that a lot of coaches are going to be okay with tossing out the book, trying something completely new, um, approaching it from a different point of view, efficiency, make sure it's fun, make sure it's going to work, it's, we're fine. Nothing's going to stop us. We're going. Don't make this an excuse at all.
0: Great words, Jonty. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you spoke on it earlier. You you've had that humbling career, and there are some <laughs> coaches that I pray are willing to do, like you said, and throw out their book and you know assess the current environment and and play play present with what they do. So. Um, I just want to thank you again. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate all you're doing for the swim coach community and look forward to what you got coming out soon. All right. Take care, Jason. Thanks, Shanti.